The first time I ever got to see a drag show, it was here in Kalamazoo. <clears throat> it was at the Pride Festival at Arcadia Creek about five years ago. Barrett and I were there together on a Friday evening enjoying the camp and the glitter. One of the drag queens had a set that included some gospel music. And while she was singing the chorus, God is working miracles, a rainbow emerged in the cloudy sky. And we could hear gasps and cheers as people started noticing. Barrett took a photo and posted that later in the evening with the caption, biggest actual miracle I've ever seen. <laughs> Rainbows are a powerful symbol. Actual rainbows in the sky are local, unlike some other things like the moon, the phases of the moon, or an eclipse that you can see across whole swaths of a country. A rainbow is really only thing that, something that people in your town see, but it's still a shared experience. I don't know if you've ever been outside when there's a beautiful rainbow, but people stop on the sidewalk and start talking to each other and pointing to it and taking photos of it. They always feel like a gift, like a moment of grace that connects us to something bigger than ourselves. And I'm beginning to think of the whole story of Noah that way too, a gift that connects us to something bigger than ourselves. There are flood myths that are present in cultures from every continent around the world. And by myth, I mean a story that captures our imagination in order to communicate beliefs and values. Sometimes in English, we use the word myth to mean the opposite of facts, like mythbusters. But when we're talking about the storytelling traditions of cultures and the ancient stories that are collected in our scriptures, Calling them myths doesn't mean that they are untrue or untrustworthy. It just means that their purpose is to communicate beliefs and values. Many Native American cultures, including the Anishinaabe from the Great Lakes area, have floods as part of their creation myths. The Anishinaabe tell about how humans were only created after the big flood. The animals who survived the flood on a raft take part in salvaging plants from the drowned world and growing them on the back of the turtle, who then becomes the dry earth. The story of Noah connects us to all of these cultures that have their own traditions of flood stories, generations of people from all around the world who tell stories of humans emerging and thriving after a world-changing flood. So what values, what beliefs are preserved in our flood myth, in this story of Noah? <clears throat> One belief that is sometimes communicated through this story is a belief that disaster is a punishment from God. And there are a lot of Christians who hang on to this belief. 
They are loud in public discourse whenever a disaster strikes, telling us whose sin God is most angry about this time. But that particular belief that God causes disasters as a form of punishment, that's not a belief that I share. It's never made sense to me. And it's not a belief that I or anyone on our faith formation team wants to pass along to another generation. <clears throat> so we're careful about how we tell this story. We pick curriculum and children's Bibles that talk about God giving Noah and his family a new beginning. We focus our storytelling on the possibilities and the promises in this story. Because in a world that is already experiencing so much divisive rhetoric, we need stories that connect us to each other with hope, not stories that model factionalism or judgmentalism. The two things that I always want to communicate through Noah's story are one, that God brings new beginnings out of even the worst disasters. And two, that God is about preserving life, not destroying it. Now, these basic concepts should be familiar to anybody who's been around church for a little while. It's very similar to the main point of our Easter story. There is nothing we face in life or in death that is bigger than God's love. There is nothing so devastating that it has the final word. There is nothing from which God cannot bring a new beginning. These are also truths that many of us have experienced in our own lives in one way or another. When my family visited Japan this past July, we went along with my parents and my brother and his family. <clears throat> One of the few activities that my dad insisted that all 10 of us do together was to visit the Hanshin Earthquake Memorial Museum, which tells the story of an earthquake that hit Kobe in 1995. I was a freshman in high school, like my own kid Sage is today. And it was 5.45 in the morning on January 17th, a school day, when I woke up to what sounded like a roller coaster and saw that the bookshelves on either side of my bed were falling over. My 11-year-old brother stood in the hallway with his emergency lantern, which turned itself on when we lost electricity. Our family of four made our way downstairs and spent the next 30 minutes huddled together under the door frame of the front door of our house, the most structurally sound place in the building, as aftershocks continued to rattle us. It took days before we understood the full magnitude of the disaster we had survived. They were days spent walking around the neighborhood and seeing houses spilling into the streets, apartment buildings with whole floors missing, highway overpasses tipped over on their sides. They were days with desperate phone calls, long before cell phones, 
Friends who had been displaced from their home tried to find landlines, scrounged up the phone numbers that they could remember from the top of their head, and made calls so that we could check in on one another. Days of watching the death toll on the news rise from the hundreds to the thousands. In the end, nearly 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and 130,000 were left without homes. That's like the population of Kalamazoo and Portage put together, all suddenly displaced. Life was never the same after that. Kobe was never the same. But new beginnings did emerge. Neighbors who had barely spoken to each other in years began sharing meals. Young adults from all over Japan took time off from college or their jobs to come and help with the relief and recovery work. And a country that had never had a culture of volunteerism suddenly began to cultivate one. The city gained a new sense of identity built around resilience and cooperation. And it's a cultural shift that continues to shape the city of Kobe 30 years later. The city also invested in disaster preparedness, not only for themselves, but launching educational programs and this memorial museum, half of which is dedicated to helping children and their families learn about preparing for disasters. They've invested in building stronger emergency prevention and response plans that can educate the whole country, not just their own community. When I graduated from high school and moved away from Kobe, the recovery was well underway, but there were still street corners that were crumbled and not repaired yet. There were still gaps in every neighborhood where a house had not yet been rebuilt. There were still thousands of people living in the emergency housing that the government had set up. It was such a gift to return this summer and see the city thriving. To be able to visit this museum that records both the disaster and the story of all the new beginnings that have emerged in the last 30 years. God brings new beginnings out of even the worst disasters. And God is about preserving life, not destroying it. That's what the rainbow is about. It's a symbol of God's promise, God's covenant with the whole of creation to set aside violence. God hangs their bow, their weapon, in the sky, saying, that is not what I am about. Long before the prophets talked about turning swords into plowshares, long before the invitation to lay down our sword and shield by the riverside, here is God hanging up a bow and pledging nonviolence. We tell this story as the first and most basic promise that God makes with the whole of creation. 
I will not destroy. Friends, this is the God who I choose to proclaim. In a world where Israel and Gaza are at war with one another yet again, in a world with rising climate anxiety and what seems like a constant stream of news about natural disasters, in a world where policymakers continue to enact violence against those who are undocumented, against children who are trans, I will continue to tell the story of a God who preserves life in all its forms. I will continue to tell of a God who has set aside violence and calls us to do the same. A God whose promise is a rainbow. Take heart, beloveds. We cannot always know what the future holds, but we do know who journeys with us. God is faithful and will carry us through into every new beginning. Amen.